Hi, my name is Isabella, and I'm the host of this podcast, Amateur Activist. Here, we talk about various social, political, and sometimes theological issues, and we stumble our way through it because, well, we're amateurs. We don't have all the answers, we don't have any influence, and we certainly don't have any resources. But, we are willing to sit down and have a chat. If that sounds like you, we invite you to join us on Wednesdays, as we cover pretty much anything. We believe we deserve better, and we're willing to do what we can to change the world. Will you join us? This season, Amateur Activist is made using Zencaster, the ultimate all-in-one podcasting platform. I am entirely inexperienced and unqualified when it comes to producing each episode, and Zencaster has made it super easy to do, especially when I'm in a time crunch, and I don't have the time to fumble my way through producing episodes. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. You can set the right podcast loudness and levels, while also reducing background noise with just a click of a button. One of my favorite aspects of Zencaster's post-production is its ability to remove filler words like um and uh, which, if you know me, can happen a lot as my brain tries to catch up with my mouth. One of the main reasons I switched to Zencaster towards the end of last year was that I could record with up to 11 guests without our session timing out. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code, the amateur activist, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hello, amateur activists. Welcome to another week of the podcast and welcome to another solo episode. It's June, which, among other things, means it's Pride Month, and there are so many things to be excited about. There are so many things that are happening to celebrate, honor, and be a part of this month, whether you see yourself as part of the queer community or you see yourself as an ally. It's very exciting. It's one of my favorite months um, to just kind of be a person, like a fly on the wall, seeing everyone um, who is a part of the queer community, whether they are out or still in the closet, um, get to, you know, walk around with shoulders, you know, back and standing up a little bit taller with full pride in who they are and who they were made to be. And if you're new here, last year for Pride Month, I recorded three episodes, each of the new guests um, offering a unique perspective on their journey, their queerness, and I guess their pride in their queerness. Um, episode one was with Karen Pack and Steph Fenton on queer pastors, queer churches, and queer theology. Episode two was with my friend Raven, and we talked about the intersectionality of their queerness, their um, their faith, and their neurodivergence. And the third and last episode was with Father Shannon and Brian Murphy of Queer Theology. So if you have not listened to those and you're kind of wanting, um, I guess, a Pride Month episode, go check those out. Um, it was really important to me to center the voices and experiences of queer Christians and pastors specifically, because Christianity is a space that I find myself in. It's a space that I choose to be in. 
and the queer community is a community that I love deeply and that so many of my friends find community in a sense of belonging in. And so it was important to me and it still is important to me to consistently talk about the, I guess, the intersection of someone's faith and someone's queer identity. Um, and so I'm really proud of those episodes. Um, and I love them. I love the people that, um, were willing to be a part of it. And I love the amount of people that have messaged me coming out, um, and finding a sense of freedom in coming out. So go listen to those people, listen to them because they're really fun episodes and, um, yeah, I'm proud of them. Uh, this year, while I still think it's important to, of course, elevate and center the voices of queer folk, um, I wanted to sit down and chat with you about allyship. Um, so let's just dive right in. Allyship is, well, it's really important and personal to me because I find myself surrounded by beautiful queer people (laughs) and wanting to be a part of pride month, wanting to be a part of enacting change, but also loving people. And for a while, I didn't know what that looked like. Um, in my teens, I think being a queer ally or an ally to the LGBTQ plus community looked like, standing up for people in school or, you know, loving people. And that's not necessarily wrong, right? It is just, I think, the bare minimum. And so I wanted to record a solo episode, kind of short and sweet, on what allyship can look like during pride month and how it should bleed into the other months of the year. Because again, as a Christian, I find myself in Christian spaces and I choose to be in those spaces, but also I, because of that, I find myself in conversations about people's sexual identity that are really uncomfortable and quite confronting and um, can leave me feeling kind of triggered and activated and confused. And so I think as amateur activists, when we self-label or self-identify as allies, there needs to be a conversation on what that looks like. And that answer cannot just come from other self-proclaimed allies. It has to come from the communities that we are saying that we're helping, that we say that we are aligning ourselves with, right? So whether that be the queer community, whether that be as white people, um, people of color, whether that be, you know, as able-bodied people, people who have disabilities, et cetera, we have to listen to and respect and honor the wishes and requests and opinions of people who are in those marginalized and oppressed communities. 
So I put out on my Instagram stories asking people, hey, what does allyship look to you? What can Christians in particular do differently when it comes to allyship? Um, what is there a cost to allyship? And there were really beautiful um, and I think confronting conversations happening in my DMs, which I'm really, really grateful for. I'm really grateful anytime um, someone in this instance, someone who identifies as queer takes a time out of their day to engage with me and to answer questions and to offer opinions and insights because they don't have to. It's not their job. It's my job to go looking for that. And so first and foremost, I want to quickly look up the definition of what allyship is so that we all are on the same page, right? So allyship is, um, can be a noun and it's defined as active support for the rights of a minority or marginalized group without being a member of it. So another definition is the quality or practice of helping or supporting other people who are part of a group that is treated badly or unfairly, although you are not yourself a member of this group. So this definition points to, um, the practice of helping or supporting people. Um, who are a part of a group that we are not ourselves a part of. Allyship is not, or being an ally, is not just an adjective or a label that you put on yourself and then you go about the rest of your life. Um, it's not passive. It's incredibly active. And it changes the way that we, or it should change the way that we move around and navigate our world and our communities because we should be more aware and we should be more alert and we should pick up on things that are maybe considered microaggressions or macroaggressions that our queer friends and family are hyper aware of because it's targeted at them. It's our job to be, um, as aware, as vigilant as they would be, or try to be, right? Allyship is not passive. It requires action, which is important. And I know it sounds like, you know, the bare minimum, like, of course, as well, duh, but it's not duh because the amount of people that self-label or self-identify as an ally and yet nothing in their life looks different. It's not allyship. It's, you may love the person. You may, um, hop on the bandwagon when that time of the year comes around. So for instance, for pride month, um, are you someone who will simply repost really cute, um, easily consumable, tasteful pictures of queer relationships of, um, people's queerness and celebrate it only in June? Are you someone that celebrates the highs, but then disappears when there is another murder of a trans person, when there is um, blatant discrimination and homophobia um, in your workplace, in your family, in your school, um, in your friendship group? Are you someone that misgenders people and refuses to um, accept new pronouns? Are you someone who refuses to learn and understand and listen and 
Instead, it is adamant that they stay ignorant and maybe even arrogant. Allyship and pride go beyond the months of, the month of June and go beyond the party of Mardi Gras, right? There is real hurt and real need and real oppression happening against the queer community that as allies, we are required to respond to. Um, social media has both been a tremendous help to activism and to the activism space, but it has also been one of the most detrimental things to the activism space because people have accepted online activism and performative activism as true activism. And even as amateurs, we can do more than simply post a cute photo, um, repost a story. There's more to be done. And, and so if your allyship only translates to the online space, then it isn't enough. This is, I don't, it's not a hot take. I think it's, it's a hard pill to swallow with allyship comes a cost, a massive cost. And so as an ally, you take on that cost and you're willing to sacrifice opportunities. You're willing to sacrifice friendships. You're willing to sacrifice a job maybe for people. It's the ultimate sacrifice. It's worth it every time. And I know that there's like a sense of, as the dominant group, well, why should I have to? It doesn't matter, babe. I know, I know it doesn't logically make sense, but that is the cost. It's the cost of loving someone. And loving someone on the surface when there's no consequence, when there's no cost, isn't real love. And I think that most tangibly translates to Christians and their love of people in the queer community. I noticed last year that there was this, there was this shift in Christian spaces and not it wasn't, I didn't feel like a sudden shift. It didn't seem, it was very, you know, over time and not even in progressive spaces and pretty, you know, middle ground, somewhat conservative spaces of churches and pastors and Christians seeming to accept queer people into the church and into Christian spaces with phrases like, um, all are welcome. So there was a really popular post going around this time last year. And the phrase that was used was, um, basically the question that was asked to God in the caption of this post was, Lord, what do you think about pride month? And in the caption, the person writes, and the Lord said to me, I love my kids. And the, uh, the author, the post, the poster of this post <laughs> continues to write, it's not a theological statement. It's not, I love my kids in every choice they've ever made. Um, it's a declaration of a loving father who died for every single one of his kids for you, for me, for the person you like, and the person you'll be shocked to see in heaven too. Now, I think 
on the surface, this person, this this kind of prominent Christian figure with a viral post going everywhere in Christian spaces, someone would go, oh, that's, that's affirming. That's, you know, that's massive in Christian spaces to say, you know, that God's response to pride month would be, I love my kids. And it's statements like that, that I've seen pop up in churches last year was a shift of welcome. All are welcome. God loves his kids. You're a child of God. You're made in his image. Um, uh, what's it, what was another one? It was like something silly, like um, God is love. And so it was, it was very vague. And when you look back at it and you kind of pick it apart, it's avoiding actually answering the question of, do you believe that being gay is a sin? Now, that same person with this viral post writing this seem what seemed to be an affirming caption then wrote a follow-up saying i didn't say jesus supports the same sex lifestyle i actually believe he has a better plan i said jesus loves everyone now immediately my thought was you've like you've missed the point. And like I wrote a bunch of stories last year about the post because it was the appearance of allyship and the appearance of being affirming when really you're still your theology and your faith is still harmful to queer people, whether they're Christians or not. And so when I put on my stories yesterday, asking people to, you know, answer the questions of what allyship, allyship looks like and what can Christians do differently to be better allies? Can Christians even be allies? I had someone message back and with the permission, I'm just going to share some of what their thoughts were. They wrote, it's dangerous because queer people often become involved in church communities and find love and friendship. And then when they eventually seek membership or leadership opportunities, they're rejected. So for those of you that are not in the Christian space, because so much of Christianity believes that being gay is a sin, um, if you identify as um, queer or as part of the LGBTQ plus community, you are not allowed into any leadership positions. So a lot of churches now have progressed, air quotes, to allow gay people to attend church, to be a part of teams and volunteer, but are not allowed to lead in any capacity because the thought being that leaders should be held to a higher standard. Um, rejection by those who pretend to accept you um, is a lot more painful than rejection from strangers. And they are speaking as a queer person with experience in church spaces and, and who have now left church. They continue to write, um, you know, I go as far to say that being affirming isn't enough for Christians. And so the word, like the term affirming is this idea that as a Christian, we affirm your existence and as not sinful, as not inherently sinful or bad, but as good. And so you have non-affirming Christians who believe that the Bible states that being gay is a sin and you have affirming Christians who 
disagree. And uh, if you can't tell, <laughs> um, I consider myself an affirming Christian. Um, and so this person in my DMs continues to write, you know, so many Christians I know will say things like, well, that's not my Jesus, or that's twisting the Bible. And that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, Christian people do so, so, so much hurt and endanger queer people. And so, yeah, it kind of is your Jesus in your Bible. So this person says that it's not enough to just be affirming as Christians. You have to actively do the work to undo the harm that is done in the name of your faith. And I find that such a confronting, not now, but years ago would have found it very confronting um, to be told that, to be told that, okay, it's not enough for me just to go, I love gay people. They're not inherently sinful or evil. They're bad. Um, all are welcome. I love you. <laughs> I actually have to do more and start to work on the stuff that I've grown up learning as a part of the Christian faith, as a part of Christian churches, as a part of the Christian space and do the work privately to undo all of that, to do all of, to undo all of the harm that my faith has done in my perception of queer people and how I've treated them in the microaggressions that I still outwork, but also start to undo the work in how I interact with other Christians and seeing the harm for what it is. Because when you're in it and you're in this community and you're being brought up in it and you are told that the Bible is authoritative and is the word of God and you're told that it, it says certain things, it's hard to see what harm it can do when you're in, when you're in it. And so I really, really thought it was important to share that DM because it's not enough just to be affirming. You have to actually take the next step. And this is a lifelong process now of undoing, undoing the harm and being aware of the harm that Christianity will continue to do to queer people. Um, and that won't ever end. That's for the rest of my life. That's for the rest of our lives, right? And so this person continues to write, you know, um, there are also lots of Christian people who are privately affirming and not publicly, and that's a no. And I think that one's really hard. It's really hard to get to the point as a Christian that you can publicly disagree with so many other Christians. It's a one of the biggest, I would say, um, people's sexual identity and abortion are the two things that Christians will have forever. Well, not forever, but have since the 50s. And it feels like we'll continue to always argue over. We'll always be a point of contention. We'll always be a point of um, conflict, of contradiction, of argument. Um, and so to get to the point where you're privately going, no, I, I know what I believe and it, it differs and disagrees with the majority to then get to the point where you can publicly say that it's scary, but that is what I mean when I say that allyship has a cost, right? It's the fear. I think Karen said this in um, episode one of the pride series last year of that feeling of fear and anxiety as an ally <laughs> of if I publicly stand up against homophobia in our church, of transphobia in our church, if I publicly stand up either 
in person or on social media and say, I believe there's nothing wrong with being gay, with being trans, with being non-binary, with being a part of the queer community. And what if I lose all my friends? What if I lose the only community I've ever known? What if I lose people that I love? That fear and anxiety is a sliver, (laughs) is a sliver of the fear and anxiety that queer people feel by coming out. And I think remembering that I go, and that's the cost to not only loving someone, but being willing to make sure that the life that they live far surpasses my own when it comes to happiness, fulfillment, being proud of who you are, having access to basic things like relationships and leadership in church. It's a small cost. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's a small cost. And within this conversation, there are going to be strong opinions. You know, um, you'll see a lot of um, queer, uh, like, I don't want to call them influencers, but like personalities, like people online who have a massive following call for, if you're a Christian and you are in a church that's not affirming, you shouldn't be there. You're part of the harm. And there's these really big opinions, right? It's not enough just to be um, affirming. You have to do more. It's not enough to be privately affirming. You have to be publicly affirming. And it can feel, whoa, drastic. And it can feel extreme, right? And this person, the same person in my DM said, you know, I have very strong feelings about all of this. Um, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, but I think it's actually really hard to be a Christian who is an actual ally. The bar is super high because there's been so much harm that's been done. And I told them, I responded and I said, I don't think your feelings and opinions should be taken with a grain of salt. And I say that because as much as I want to believe that everyone is you know, that everyone is a good person. We're not, we're not good people, not all the time. And I think that, you know, take with a grain of salt has been used and manipulated and abused by people who are insistent on remaining complacent and comfortable. No, no, (laughs) no, no. Queer people's opinions, points of views, feelings should never be taken with a grain of salt. Never. There are vast experiences and there are differing opinions and there are differing experiences depending on race, culture, socioeconomic status. And that is all fine and well. And you take all of them in, but to take them all with a grain of salt, it's so easy to abuse and manipulate that. And use it for your own personal comfort and gain. As amateurs, allyship may not look the way non-amateurs are asking it to look, right? And I think the way that I've done my best, my very best to be not only an effective ally, but to be a good friend is to remember 
remember why. Like, <laughs> why am I an ally if it's to have fun, if it's because pride is cute and I love rainbows and pink colors and feather boas, it's bullshit. But to remember why, but then also to remember that there has to be a cost. Our allyship cannot be predicated on retaining our power and staying comfortable and appearing morally right or superior. It cannot, cannot. And if you consider yourself an ally and your life doesn't look different, if you consider yourself an ally and your heart doesn't break at the the violence, the hatred against someone purely because of who they're attracted to or who they're not attracted to, something's not right. And that heartbreak should move you to action. And maybe it doesn't look like attending, you know, a pride parade or attending Mardi Gras. Maybe it doesn't look like you know, posting adamantly every day of Pride Month. Maybe it just looks like standing up for a queer person when you hear homophobia or transphobia in your classroom, um, around the dinner table, in your workplace, um, at church. Maybe it's being a listening ear to queer people in your life who are tired. Maybe maybe it is donating to an organization if you have the money. Maybe it is, you know, attending a rally or attending a march if you have the time and access. Um, and maybe it looks like you doing the work yourself in private. Not every aspect of allyship needs to be public. Maybe it's the private work that you're ready to commit to doing, to um, dismantling um, heteronormativity. Maybe it's dedicating yourself to the work of um, understanding the harm that your faith has enacted on millions of people. Maybe it's reading books. Maybe it's listening to podcasts, um, but there has to be a cost. And whether that, that cost is something as drastic as losing a job or losing your friends or as, you know, as less drastic and maybe subtle as giving up your comfort, um, letting yourself be really uncomfortable with what you're listening to, the stories you're listening to. Maybe it's as subtle as giving up your power and giving up your privilege as part as someone who's part of the dominant community. And so this pride month, um, I want to encourage all of us amateur activists to do the one thing that makes us uncomfortable. Um, the one thing that we would count as costly as a consequence of our allyship. Um, because if you saw my story this week, especially as Christians. There are studies that show that queer people who stay in the church are 30 to 55% more likely to die by suicide than those who leave the church. 
30 to 55% more likely. Queer people are more likely to die if they go to church on a Sunday than not. And if our God saves as Jesus saves, we have to do better. So instead of praying for it and hoping for it, let's just be better. Yeah? Well, it's dark now and you can't see me. (laughs) But I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And I hope that um, for all the people who are queer, who are listening, I hope that you have the most glorious, fabulous, beautiful month of pride in yourself of freedom to be exactly who you are and love whoever you want to love. Um, and the loudness that comes with finally being able to be free and proud in who you are and who you were made to be. As Karen Pack said last year, you start out loved. You don't have to earn it. And so this Pride Month, I hope that you know that you are loved exactly who you are, exactly the way that you are. And in case you haven't heard it today, I love you. Everyone else, I'll see you next time for a brand new episode. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, and have a great rest of your day, your week, wherever this episode leaves you. Mwah!